It is good to be with you. Uh, we are preaching our concluding sermon in the book of Philippians uh, this, this week. I want to let you know uh, we're going to be beginning a series in Genesis 1 through 12. We're not going to do the whole book of Genesis, but the first 12 books, uh, 12 books, the first 12 chapters of Genesis, um, starting uh, in a couple of weeks, so a week from, two weeks from today. I'm looking forward to that. Um, we will be uh, in the book of Philippians, so it's good to have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can put your hand up, and we have some that have been disinfected, and one of our ushers will bring that to you. And we just ask, uh, when you leave, leave that in the pew, and they can pick that up and re-disinfect it for the next group. I also want to mention, um, typically, as a church, when there's someone who's been a, a key part of our church who uh, transitions, we, we honor their last Sunday in our service, and... Uh, because of COVID, we can't do that for Bill and Doreen Springle, but anyone who's been around our church for very long knows they, they were a couple that were pillars of our church, giving all that they had for our church for, for decades. And so uh, if you know Bill and Doreen, please reach out to them um, and, and let them know that we are, we're sad to see them go and we're praying God's blessings on them. If you would open up your Bibles to Philippians, um, I'm just going to read verses uh, chapter 1, verses 27 and 28 in our, as our conclusion. But you can open there, and uh, we're going to stand for the reading of God's Word. Philippians 1, 27 and 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. You can be seated as we pray. Father, we ask that your word would be heard clearly, that in no way would I get in the way of it. So we pray for the ministry of your spirit in our midst, in Christ's name, amen. On August 1st, 2007, an eight-lane bridge that connected the twin cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul collapsed under the weight of rush hour traffic. Thirteen people died. 145 were injured. Now, prior to that collapse, various organizations had indicated that there were underlying structural issues with this bridge. For example, a 2006 report noted problems with, quote, cracking and fatigue. Now, perhaps the reports understated the urgency of the problem, or perhaps warnings were ignored. After all, this bridge seems stable. It had been functioning well for four decades. What was the big deal? Only in hindsight did it become clear how foolish it was to ignore the fissures. One might compare the book of Philippians to the 2006 report on the I-35 bridge. 
Paul and the Philippians had a robust, inspiring partnership. The Philippians had been there and were there for Paul in his need, sacrificing so much to just keep him going in ministry. In many ways, then, the Philippian church was a picture of health. But there were underlying fissures. There was a crack. It's hinted at throughout the letter, sometimes not so subtly. But it began even in nine, where he prays that love would abound more and more. And then as we saw in 127, he calls on them to have one mind and one spirit. In chapter 2, verses 2-4, to four, he talks about their need to lay aside rivalry and conceit and instead count others as more significant. In chapter 2, verse 14, he warns against grumbling and disputing. And then in 2, 27 and 28, he speaks of being sorrowful and anxious about the situation in Philippi. But all those different hints then come into focus at the beginning of chapter 4, when Paul calls out Yodia and Syntyche because of a conflict they have. Two fellow gospel workers who cannot get to the point where they agree, where they're of one mind in the Lord. And as we saw, the Bible is teaching us something here. Sometimes churches, even healthy churches, establish, establish fissures. Indeed, I'd go as far to say that healthy, all-in-for-the-gospel churches can be uniquely susceptible to fissures or cracks. So the book of Philippians was written to a healthy, on-mission church that was nonetheless at risk because of some easily overlooked but actually serious fissures that were forming. So what does God have to say to such a church? What does God have to say to a church where fissures are forming, but they're easily overlooked because of broader health? I think it's actually surprising what he says. I've tried to distill this book down to two points. I think the first is the one that's most surprising. I framed it like this. Let the gospel have your heart. Let the gospel have your heart. It's like when you uh, have a toddler, you're parenting your toddler, you have to keep correcting him. Uh, don't, don't do that. Uh, don't touch that. Uh, get, get off of that. It can be somewhat effective to try and just keep telling them what not to do, but we all know it's far better to get them doing something that's good, that captures their attentions. Once their heart is taken with, say, playing in the sprinkler, you don't have to keep telling them, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And when you read the book of Philippians, you you get a bit of that sense. Paul's enthusiasm and excitement for the gospel is popping up all over. It's oozing out of every pore of the book. So he begins talking about his own imprisonment, and he's rejoicing because the gospel's still going forth. In the middle, when he's addressing the importance of working together, suddenly he's celebrating the goodness of what Jesus did in saving us. Then later on, when he's commending Timothy and Epaphroditus, all that he wants to talk about is how they're loving and serving Jesus. Even when he's giving a warning about false, teacher, he's, false teachers, he kind of stops to just glory and celebrate and how what we have in Jesus is so much better. 
It's like he's put on these special gospel glasses. He puts them on and he sees everything in light of the gospel. And so suddenly he's content with everything, rejoicing in the midst of it all, thinking about Jesus all the time. It's truly transformative. According to the Bible then, the solution to the fissures that can form in a church is to allow the Gospel to have our hearts. Or to put on those special Gospel glasses. So I want to explore that a little bit more because I think Philippians has pushed us to think more carefully about how the Gospel has our hearts. So I want to just briefly mention three ways I think it's done that. First, Throughout the letter, Paul has been helping us see that the real world to which we should be looking is the future kingdom that Jesus brings. The special gospel lenses are uniquely future-oriented. See, Paul sees this world as a start-up sequence for the future and better world that awaits us when Jesus returns. He values this world only in its relation to the coming day of Christ. So he speaks of the day of Christ in chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 1, verse 10, chapter 2, verse 16. He speaks of his own future orientation in chapter 1, verse 23, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, chapter 3, verses 13 to 14. And he emphasizes the Philippians' heavenly citizenship in chapter 1, 27, and in 3, 20 through 21. There is a better and eternal kingdom coming. There is a better and eternal kingdom kingdom coming. And that changes everything. It changes how we receive the evening news. It changes how we view our latest disagreements. It changes how we view our present hardship. It changes how we view pandemics, elections, culture wars, and murder hornets. It's not that those things cease to matter. It's simply that they take their due place in the pecking order of importance. We view them in correct proportions. Psalm, 25, or Psalm 75 says, When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. And that psalm is emphasizing the coming day of the Lord. The pillar holder of this world is returning to usher in the better and eternal world. And for all who are in Christ, we will enjoy the benefits of that world. World without end. Amen. Amen. And that leads to another way that these gospel glasses um, shape our look at the, our view of the world. There's another way the gospel should have our hearts. And that is this gospel teaches us the down, then, up principle. 
Remember like that swing? Kids, you guys remember when we talked about the swing? You lift the kid up and you let them go. They go down first and then up. Like the swing, the path for the Christian is first down, then up. In this world, this passing, fleeting, ending world, we share in Christ's sufferings. Down, down, down. But these are but the pangs that lead to the joy of birth. They are the necessary parts of the startup sequence that precedes resurrection and exaltation. So we can adopt this cruciform life, cruciform life. We can embrace sacrifice. We can embrace humility. We embrace laying aside our interests for the good of others because we know this is the path. So Christians don't preen and strut. We don't insist on our own way. We don't belittle and bemoan. We love sacrificially, laying down our lives and our interests and our rights for the good of others. And the Gospel has our hearts. We think like Jesus. Act like Jesus. We follow the down-then-up pattern. If you're not a follower of Christ and you're listening or you're here with us, you may hear a lot about what Christians are like in the news or in some portrayals. I just encourage you to get to know us. Watch us. See if the gospel is real. If we embrace the same pattern that Christ has formed. Down, then up. And that in turn leads to the third way I think the gospel has our hearts. It should cause us to value gospel progress. I'm in jail, Paul says. No problem. God's gospel's going forward. My opponents malign me. No problem. The gospel's going forward. I face hunger and humiliation. No problem. God's gospel can't be thwarted by any of those things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, Paul's gospel glasses cause him to value gospel progress. Now, all three aspects of the gospel glasses come together. So follow this logic. What matters is who gets to be part of God's eternal kingdom. Our time in this world is the downtime where we give of ourselves for others' good. And the greatest good we can do is to make the gospel known so that more and more people can know the goodness of that eternal kingdom. So what I value in this life, even if it's at great cost to myself, is advancing the gospel. Certainly in the lives of fellow believers, but especially in bringing that gospel to those who have not heard of it. We've seen how we're all either goers or senders in that task. We must coordinate and work together for this greater task. So, this is what Philippians is calling us to do as we give our hearts, allow the gospel to have our hearts. See the future kingdom as the real kingdom. Embrace the cruciform life and value gospel progress. 
So you see why I thought that was a surprising antidote to fissures in the church? Might not be where we expected God to go. The diagnosis is cracks and fissures. We might expect him to address personality issues or communication or love languages. Instead, God calls us to give our hearts to the gospel. It might not be intuitive, but if we step back, I think we can see the wisdom of it. Our quarrels and disagreements, as important as they are, pale quickly in comparison to this gospel that has our hearts. And as that gospel has our hearts, it actually transforms us. So we come to have the mind of Christ. We're willing to embrace suffering, embrace self-sacrifice, embrace the loss of our rights or our reputation, willing to forego our own interests because we've been changed by a God who made Himself nothing in order to save us. Let the gospel have our hearts and the bridge will be stable. Alternatively, alternatively, if we let other things have our hearts, the strains on the bridge will only grow. Hardships, opponents, the things of the flesh, our circumstances, the here and now, if we give our hearts to those kinds of things, we actually prone to the very strains that can lead to collapse. So let's let the gospel have all of our hearts. That was point number one, but I said there were two points in distilling this book. The first one is to let the gospel have our hearts. The second is an overflow of that, and it's this, pursue the joy of gospel partnership. Pursue the joy of gospel partnership. Have you ever seen a a beautiful sunset and you're all alone? What do you want to do? You're like, ah, I wish there was someone I could just share it with. Part of our delight in that sunset is in the sharing of it. Now, I see some little kids in here. You guys get this intuitively. When you make a really cool tower with your blocks, what do you say? Look, Mommy. Look, Daddy. You're doing your really cool somersault? Watch this! Or you make a really cool picture with your crayons? You did or didn't? If you didn't, you need to go home and make a tower with your blocks and say, look, Daddy, that'd be awesome. We Kids get it. We need to share it. If this is exciting, we need to share it with someone. That is actually part of the joy. God wired us that way. And so he doesn't just save us individually. He's actually making a new people, a new nation, a new humanity. And we collectively, as his people, find our fullest joy when we pursue the gospel together. Now, if we wanted to, and I know this uh, because I've talked to a lot of you, our church could have a pretty good debate about the right response to COVID-19. And there's probably enough emotion on this that it could become contentious because we disagree with one another. You could say the same about a host of issues. Schooling, certain tertiary theological issues, 
Black Lives Matter. We aren't all likely to be united on these kinds of issues. And because some of us are passionate, everything matters type people, things could probably get pretty heated. But the more we give our hearts to the gospel, the more those things take their proper place in the pecking order. And then, instead of debating masks or the finer points of John Calvin, we can instead be resonating with one another in gospel partnership. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have conversations about masks or John Calvin. We should. But the main note we sound are our look mommy moments should be related to the glorious, saving gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's why we said that the theme of the book of Philippians is side by side for the gospel. We saw in 127, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. See, God wasn't just content to say, let the gospel have your hearts. He tells us to do that in partnership together. It's then that we're able to rejoice, to know the deepest joy, the joy of striving side by side for the gospel. It's, it's costly when engineers ignore warnings about fissures in a bridge. As God's people, may we never be so foolish as to ignore God's Word in such a way. The need to pay attention, or we need to pay attention when God speaks to listen to what he has to say so that we know how to address the little fissures that can form. I think God's spoken to us plainly through Philippians. And it's my prayer that God would give all of us grace to listen and obey. Would you join me in prayer? Father, We hear what you're saying in Philippians. You've spoken clearly and plainly. We all need the help of your Spirit in these times when our culture and the world around us is so divisive and contentious. We need ears to hear, hearts to believe, eyes of faith, which can only come by your Spirit. So work that way within us. Even as we sing this final song, may it be our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.